Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. No, the only time you're really going to be free and fulfilled is when, as a created being, you begin to walk in the way that He's created you to operate. But what you do need to do is just be a faithful representation of what you believe. Live it, live it boldly, don't hedge on anything, and just simply be who you are for the sake of Christ and the gospel and the church. And don't think about it in terms of like, did I make sure that they understood that I think they're wrong? In every generation, we need to evangelize the church. There is no Christian culture. Christianity is the message of God's Son sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to choose him or not? And I often tell people, people don't leave church because of God. Mm -hmm. They leave because of other people. Welcome back to the Sandhills Podcast. We've just spent the last two episodes talking about women in ministry, looking at it from the most important woman in the Old Testament, arguably Esther and her story and how she lives and finding the hidden hand of God in our own lives and in that story. And then we talked with Katie Lindemann about the practicalities of women in ministry. And now we get to have a conversation around a very hot topic in our culture, which is what is a woman and who is a woman and gender pronouns and things like that come into play. And so we can address the biblical side of it, look at what biblically is going on. We can look at practical ministry, but we also want to talk about what's going on in our culture and how to address and have conversations with people that might think or feel differently than we do uh, about God creating us male and female. And so this will be a great conversation. We brought in Dr. Seth Scott from CIU. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. We're excited to have you. Uh, you are the uh, associate professor over there for counseling and you head up the doctoral program for counseling. You got your degree from Walden. What brought you to CIU? What brought you to this area and what gave you a passion for counseling? Yeah, so my passion for counseling started well before I came here. Um, I met my wife in Iowa at a small Bible college where we both got intercultural studies and biblical studies degrees. Uh, went on the mission field in Ireland and realized even as we worked in Ireland that um, we were doing church planting, small group discipleship, that working with people, I just, I wasn't equipped. I needed more training. So I mm. went back and got a master's degree at Regent uh, in Virginia. And then from there, um, started in clinical practice in New England, working kind of a, across the board, but predominantly with children and families in mm. psychiatric um, settings and, and crisis response. Uh, and then I went back into teaching, uh, starting in, in 2012, uh, and I've been teaching and maintaining a private practice since then. And so, uh, when I was looking with my PhD for different opportunities, really to be a good steward of, of training and resources, um, I saw the job openings at mm. Columbia International and it was just a great opportunity to come to this area to get out of the Midwest where it was a little bit colder than here. Yeah, that's um, right. But I liked the opportunity and continue to, to love serving in training people to be effective counselors. Mm. Um, there's only so much that I can do. And so I see part of my passion and heart is to be more effective in, in uh, training people to address the harvest mm. um, through counseling, through right. addressing the whole person. Absolutely. And that's so amazing because you, you come into a conversation 
instantly recognizing how can I make sure this person feels heard. That's that's the goal. Yep. To be seen, to be heard, to be valued. And that should be our heartbeat as believers when we engage our neighbors. That's right. Because we, we can never be the good Samaritan if we're instantly devaluing the person before we even speak to them. Or if we're going, you know what, they're not worth my time. They're not worth this or that because they disagree with me or they have a different heart set. But if we approach it going, you know, I, I want to make sure that they feel heard and understood and known, then I can maybe engage them with something. That's right. Yeah, our primary need uh, as people is to be seen. Mm. Um, and we see this even even in Scripture. We see the the first person to provide a name to God in the Old Testament is Hagar. That's right. Uh, and she says, you know, you are the God who sees. Mm. Uh, and then even in the New Testament, the woman at the well in John 4, she's the first person that Jesus reveals himself to as the Messiah. Yeah. Um, wow. And her response to him is, you are the God who sees, both occurring at wells. Wow. Um, you know, Jeez, but, I'd never made that connection. Yeah, that wells are, are important in scripture, even from a mar- from a marital perspective. Yeah. Right. So you, you meet your spouse at a well, basically. And so Jesus kind of... Um, uses that play even in the metaphor of the well by saying, you know, you've been married all of these different times. Right. Um, and yet I'm the living water and you're trying to find your needs met of being seen and valued um, mm. in something else. Wow. And then we're called, as Peter says, to walk in the example set before us. And right. it's so beautiful because that, that Greek word literally means to trace letters in the sand. And so the parent would do that, trace letters in the sand. And then the kid would come across and put his finger right in the same trace and they would trace it out together. That's right. And that's how they would learn to read and write. And that's following the example. And then that's how closely we follow the example Christ sets. And he sets that so perfectly right there in that moment of make sure the people feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. The woman saying, you know, um, here's a man who sees me and knows me mm. and still, still loves me. Right. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't uh, judge me. For right. What I've done. And it doesn't negate the very real go and sin no more That's right. at the end of that, because we can get into this uh, paralyzing indecision of, well, if I love them and make sure they're heard and seen, then I can never talk into, hey, maybe have you thought about this? Or we go to the opposite extreme. We go, that's what I'm going to say first. I'm going to make sure they know that I think they're wrong. Uh, Dr. Casters talked about that on the show before where Christians and evangelism can have a tendency to hyper-focus on, did I make sure that they know that I think they're wrong. Right, right. Um, and so we can come in with the go and sin no more first, and they're like, you don't even know who I am, right. what I'm going through. So this is so important. Now, for, for us in Scripture, it seems so clear, Genesis, man, woman, that's carried out throughout Scripture, not really addressed much more. You get marriage and relationships, but that's always between man and woman. Yep. You see Paul bring up, and in the Old Testament as well, that homosexuality is something that God does not approve of and is not a lifestyle that he sanctions. But the question of gender doesn't seem to come up as much. And recently, you know, it's really exploded on the scene in our political culture and our cultural, you know, mindset. People choosing, choosing pronouns, people changing their gender, transgender community, having all those conversations. But that didn't just happen in one year. Right. When did these conversations really start to come into the counseling world and things like that? Yeah, so gender even as a concept is a relatively new um, distinction. And so it wasn't until really even in the 50s in some scientific research and things that they began to evaluate sexuality and gender and using those terms, but they were always mm-hmm. used in parallel, mm-hmm. right? So your sex and your gender were, were aligned. Um, and philosophically, theoretically, um, only 
people can have gender actually animals don't have have gender animals mm. only have sex um and so so there, there's an interesting distinction even today in that in some of the literature you read it's it's actually misapplied um, okay but so they they existed in in kind of harmony in alignment um until probably about 2012 2013 um when people started to frame uh, the capacity to distinguish, mm. um, and there was this subjective perspective component to gender that started to take um, take shape, usually more in the counseling field, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, just you know, four, five, six years ago, it started to become more of a normative uh, a normative lens of saying how I perceive myself subjectively mm. um, is really more important, more, more accurate than how I am, um, in my sexuality, in my, Mm. in my primary sexual characteristics. So how I see myself becomes the defining characteristic of the person. Yeah. And, and as in most things, uh, most of these philosophical aspects begin kind of in the, the theory of the university. And so some of this, these aspects kind of, um, started philosophically in the discussions, um, of the ivory tower in the eighties mm. and nineties in, in other areas. But it's this idea of, you know, you are your own truth. You're the only person to be able to define yourself. Um, and so that always mm. trickles down into culture and society. It takes a little bit, um, with, with media, with technology that the speed of that flow has increased. Mm-hmm. And so we see even a topic like this being discussed, um, you know, in 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there, and then pretty quickly entering, common parlance in, in culture yeah, um, and people adapting it for themselves. Yeah. And you see it so predominantly on social media. Um, yep. As soon as this came on the scene, Instagram changed their bio field to say, you know, choose what genders you are. And that way everybody knows mm-hmm. right off the bat. And so it became something that you highlight about yourself. Uh, and I know that there are people who changed their gender pronouns in order to just show support for those who are changing their gender pronouns right. based off of their you know, self-actualization, if they will, of what they understand about themselves. How should we as Christians go about that conversation with, with, I mean, you talked about the difference between like sex and gender and they were aligned at one point. Is, is that something that we hold to and say, this is a hard and fast line, we've got to say this, or if someone's using a different pronoun, should a believer address them as that pronoun, you know, knowing that, man, they don't have the same lifestyle set, heart set as I do. Mm-hmm. They're not a believer. I can't expect them to believe the same things that I do. So do you say, you know, he, him, they, them, you know, whatever they've chosen, do you approach them and engage them with what they've chosen or do you engage them with what you can identify visually as their gender? So, so some of the assumption is that we can appropriately identify mm. um, by gender, which, which may or may not be, um, accurate yeah there there is kind of a different approach even in in clinically how we would deal with it if someone is a professing believer um, versus not right we don't ever in any behavioral issue uh, we don't want someone to become moral um, in order to come come to christ yeah right they don't need to change their behavior they don't need to clean themselves up in order Mm. to come yeah Um, and yet once they acknowledge christ once they profess salvation um, there is an alignment with God's standards and the community of God is intended to walk out that alignment with that person to support and assist them. And so there's a little bit of a different approach yeah. with that. Um, part of it though, is seeing again, the example of Jesus in that he meets people where they are. 
he acknowledges them from that position so that they see they they are seen they are valued they are loved um, because people need to feel like they belong before they can believe mm. um, we tend to kind of in the modern american church uh, do it the other way right if you have the mm. right beliefs yeah um, if you agree with me on these things then then we'll include you then you can belong and and that's not really how we see it working in scripture. That's not how God engages with us. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of taking that as a foundation, then we think like, all right, well, then w- what do we do about about pronouns? Um, names are actually a little bit easier to address first than pronouns, mm. right? We see historically um, names have flipped back and forth. Um, names actually, um, a lo- a most customs go from an upper class to a lower class flow freakonomics talks about Mm. um and so names is one of those we see kind of these upper crust british names like leslie um lindsey i thought of reginald reginald (laughs) yeah um um shirley you know some of those that that were traditionally upper class men's names Mm. that in in most of our american culture today would be women's names yeah shirley okay um and so uh, like Leslie Nielsen, right? Surely yeah. you can't be serious. Um, right. <laughs> but th- there's that, there's that recognition to say then, then what are names? Are names gendered? Mm. Um, and while we would say that they, they are frequently, we, we have kind of adapted an adjustment to that and what that looks like. Um, and so that's one piece. And, and the other aspect of that in naming for us as believers is recognizing that, that in our glorification process we actually mm. have another name mm. right the name that is written in the lamb's book of life is is not it's not seth probably yeah right it's, yeah and that it says that in revelation that at the at the table spot that you have there's the rock with the name on it yeah and it's not it's probably not what i call myself right yeah. jesus changed simon to peter yeah right from from pebble <laughs> to right. rock um and so our names have meaning and have value mm. um but often it's the value that we understand and we engage in community and so one of the first things that I say, even as I interact with, with clients with this or with family members is saying, you know, the name that you chose may have special meaning for them, but as they're seeking to grow and develop, it's pretty common to change, change your name. Yeah. Right. It's not that unusual. When you get married, you change your name because your identity has shifted in some way. It's, mm-hmm. it's demonstrating leaving and cleaving. And so mm-hmm. for this person, if we always want to take the, the, um, the least invasive approach um that's what mark yarhouse explains for Mm. for even this topic is is if alleviating some of the discomfort and some of the tension for a person in their felt mismatch of gender and sexuality if calling them by another name alleviates some of that angst for them Mm. is that worth it is that worth it for them to see to feel seen valued and loved Mm -hmm. um and often it just ends up being a power play yeah for, for parents of saying no this is what i named you and this is what mm. i want to call you so that's the one aspect pronouns can be a little bit more complicated for a lot of people um i struggle even as i work with clients to call someone they just because i grade papers all day long in apa format right. and it's grammatically incorrect right um, <laughs> right it's this like hard shift of like well you and who else um mm-hmm. because it's a plural pronoun but even in pronouns um our language has gendered pronouns but a lot of languages don't uh and so when we address that we recognize that that even in a lot of languages that like spanish or greek that have um 
gendered words mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily gendered. Yeah, that's very true. Right? Um, and so, like, like I'm maxing my high school Spanish, but, like, la cara, right? It's all, not all cars are female. Right. Right? Just because it has a gendered right um, a gendered preface and things yeah. so so there's that piece when we apply that to english to say like all right well what what hurdle are we willing to uh or block are we willing to put on this mm-hmm. um, that matters if it means we then can have someone respond to the love that we're attempting to demonstrate to them right um, is it is it worth it and for some people that's just a question they kind of have to to decide right but if someone has to feel like they belong before they can believe um, not mis mislabeling them just kind of prevents you from being able to have a conversation. Right. Because there's that famous quote that says, you know, he loved, Jesus loves you enough to take you where you're at and he leaves you and he loves you enough to not leave you that way. Yep. You know, and that's huge, but we often want to say, Hey, you need to look, sound, act, believe like me. I'm going to make a little mini me first right. and then you can follow Jesus. And he goes, no, I want them to look like me. And I'll make them a mini me, right. you know, the spirit will do that, but the spirit's the one who convicts and does all that stuff. Well, in the demonstration of the, the church, um, the reason that the, the world is supposed to know that we are his disciples, that is our love for one another mm. and our love for one another is supposed to be unique and distinct from the world's capacity for community. Um, and that difference is that we actually love across our differences, across our diversity because mm. we're right. unified in Christ. I would argue actually that the world tends to do a better job of loving in community than the church actually does mm-hmm. because we're unified around different things, right? Uh, Clemson fans, West Point fans have something in common and that it doesn't matter what your other things are, what stage of life you're in, mm. uh, what your socioeconomic status is, what yeah. color is your skin. You unify around those things. The thing. That's right. Um, and so our culture actually does a better job. And so as the church, when we try to say, you know, we'll join us because we provide relationship and community. Um, it's actually, it's, it's more, requires mm-hmm. more conformity to extraneous factors that aren't addressed in scripture than, than the world does. And so right. we actually aren't unique. We aren't demonstrating the love of God across our diversity and differences in that way. Right. Because I mean, just like you said, for us, for West Point fans like myself, you know, you see someone with a bumper sticker says beat Navy and you're like, I'm going to let this guy merge whenever they want. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. They can do anything. You know, like I'm, I'm glad we're on the same team. But you see like a Jesus bumper sticker and you're like, oh man. Right. What you, denomination are they? Do right. Yeah. You know, do I agree with this person? Are they being a faithful represent, representation of Christ or are people upset when they see this person? And then, you know, you invite someone to church and they're going, we did a whole episode on this where we broke down the misconception that all Christians have to be conservative politically. Yep. And that's a huge thing here in the South is people have said, you know, I don't want to come to church because I'm, you know, I'm a Democrat. And it's like, it doesn't matter (laughs) you know we want to follow jesus and yeah it's it's we get in our own way so easily so quickly and i mean sin itself but exemplified in our culture tries to create tribes Mm -hmm. right tries to break us into these distinctive groups and some of the gender issue today is this piece of trying to define yourself by your own subjective experience as unique and different Mm. and so it's creating groups and so it's this means of trying to say like, I matter, I have value, but instead of saying I matter and I have, I have value because I align with this bigger group, it's trying to say I matter because my self-expression is affirmed. And that's the tension we see Christ do very well is he's able to see and to acknowledge the person without necessarily um, affirming their behavior. Mm. 
right? We don't see anyone assuming that when they interact with Jesus, that he's okay with leaving them where they are, as yeah, you said. Yeah, they're fine. Right, but that's our tension today. Mm. Um, and it may be an accurate tension. It may be that, that we do, we, we can't balance grace and truth like Jesus does. And so, like Jesus, I think that we are safer falling on the side of grace because actually we don't convict for truth mm. anyway. Right. Um, we demonstrate belonging and the Holy Spirit works through that belonging relationship to provide conviction for change. Yeah. But we often think it is our responsibility to provide conviction. Jesus said in John three seventeen that even it wasn't his responsibility even as he came right. to convict the world for sin, but that the world through him might be saved. Right. And so you know, we're doing more than even Jesus often in the world around us and trying that's to convict right. people of their, <laughs> of their sin. Man. And, and, and that's such a beautiful note with the, uh, with, you mentioned John there where he says, you know, I didn't come to condemn the world and he says, because the world already stands condemned. He's like, it's right. naturally how it is. I don't need to come in and just slap people in the face with it. I need to come in and show them. I love you. I can redeem this. Yep. You can be born again, you know, and there's that aspect yet again of, a new creation, a different name, a different identity that's set in him and what he sees in you and knows in you versus even what we see in ourselves. Because what was the greatest command? The Old Testament, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says, I'm giving you a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. Yep. And it's even greater than you can love yourself. Right. And that's, it's beautiful in this subject of, can we trust Christ to allow him to do that work? Yep. in them and, and, and love them as he loves them. And not even as we love ourselves, we, we tend to make ourselves the focal point of everything. Right. But if we can step back and allow him to do his thing and work through us, follow his example, we can have a lot of amazing conversations with people. Yep. What's the, oh, excuse me. We got way out of the mic there. <laughs> What's the typical movement point for when someone's going, gosh, I don't think that I'm, this way mm -hmm. and i'm going to change that is that uh, people talk about psychological hurts and people talk about spiritual hurts is there one that you've seen predominantly like as we engage people should we be thinking man this is someone who might have something going on unseen or is this something that's spiritually hurting in them that we can be a part of what have you seen and what do you think yeah so i think that um we we only experience spiritual hurts through relationship Right. Mm. So if it's a spiritual hurt, it's a, it's a social hurt. It's a relational hurt. Mm. Um, and you know, throughout most of human history, um, we've had people who we've had people who were born male that were uncertain on their identity, right? Jesus even said there were people that were born eunuchs that were made eunuchs by others, um, yeah. or were made eunuchs themselves. Right. Right. Those were all males throughout human history eunuchs are, are males right. only. Um, and that aligns actually with our neurobiology. So even as we look at this topic, we recognize that all babies um, are default female. Hmm. Right. 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 When an egg is fertilized, it's it's female. And then we're, you know, brain damaged through testosterone right. to make us male. <laughs> right, right, we, right, right. We yeah. have this shift. And so it makes sense biologically, medically, that if something goes wrong in that testosterone infusion process, um, there's going to be a, a mismatch, hmm. right? So there's a component of you aren't male enough biologically, potentially. Hmm. And that's where we see the predominance across human history of, of biological males kind of not aligning necessarily, um, or even intersex issues, right. um, 
which is a, a very, very small percentage, but intersex issues are um, the not complete formation from female to male. Right. Right. So throughout most of history, um, that's always been the case. A lot of the diagnostic clinical things of gender dysphoria have predominantly identified males in this area. Um, mm. Within the past handful of years, we've seen for the first time a rapid growth in what we're calling rapid onset gender dysphoria among females. Mm. Um, and the interesting distinction is historically gender dysphoria is this, um, I feel like how I identify um, in my person, how I see myself doesn't match my biological sex. Right. I am the other sex, right? So, so a biological male um, would say, I, I feel like I'm a, a woman trapped in a man's body. That's mm -hmm. kind of the traditional, what we kind of have known right. uh, medically, clinically for a long time. Today, this shift is, has been a, a rapid increase in predominantly adolescent females who are now saying not that they are a man trapped in a woman's body, but that they are neither. Hmm. That they, they are, they are non-binary, they are gender fluid, they, they don't identify as either. Uh, and so that has, that has a different explanation actually. Hmm. Um, as you look through it, there may still be some biological, biochemical pieces. Um, the toxins that we consume in our foods yeah. um, adjust and are disrupting our our testosterone um, and our estrogen, actually. It's, it's throwing off some of those things. And so you, you're seeing differences. Uh, weight gain actually causes changes in estrogen and, and testosterone. So there's some of those wow. pieces. But socially, um, when, when the position of a biological male is that of kind of power and authority, mm -hmm. um, and women are, are you know, overgeneralized, but women are victims and on the lesser position, if you mm -hmm. don't want to experience that anymore, um, right. You don't want to be in that role. And so that's a component of it. So a lot of it is, is social and we're seeing that, that disorders trend mm -hmm. over time. Uh, there's a social contagion aspect of some disorders like eating disorders, self-harm behavior. We see social contagion aspects of that. And there is some discussion on whether gender dysphoria actually, or rapid onset gender dysphoria is, has a component of social contagion to it. Um, we're seeing pockets of adolescent females in groups identify together mm. as, as non-binary. Um, and so throughout history, we have seen some of these trends where, where social contagion of disorders or disease occur. And so that, that's an aspect of the explanation. I don't think it's the complete explanation, right. but we do see an aspect of that. And then we also see once the freedom to kind of self-identify is there, um, in that normal trajectory of identity development of who do I want to say that I am, Mm -hmm. The ways that we have historically defined ourselves, we have, we have more freedom. Um, and this is kind of the trending means of self-identifying. Right. Um, so that's, that's another component that's going on here. We have the freedom to do that. And then an, uh, kind of the final aspect, I think, um, there's probably more, but right. <laughs> is that at the same time that we allow people to, to not define by, by, their, by their biological status anymore, um, and say it's okay to kind of be fluid between them. We are also um, making the distinctions between genders more rigid than ever before, mm. right? So we we are creating and teaching and training rigid gender stereotypes, um, even as young in our, some of our educational curriculum as pre-K, to say this is what it means to be a boy, this is what it means to be a girl, right? And they're very distinct um, and very separated. Blue toys, pink toys. That's right. And we yeah. say that, that that's what it means. But it's okay if you don't align with that. That just means 
not that you don't align with it, but that you're the other, hmm. right? That That's kind of what's happening. And, and so we're seeing a part of that too, is it's this ideological push um, to basically invalidate both. Whereas historically, um, the culture would just say, there, there was broader categories and there was a Venn diagram, right? They overlapped mm-hmm. um, in some places to say, you can be biological male and still like ballet and opera and not drive right. a pickup truck. Right. Right. Whereas today we are actually solidifying these differences, mm. um, which means that you don't have much margin if you don't fit the, the stereotype, the rigid stereotype. Yeah. When someone says like, oh, that's a man's truck. That's right. You know, it's like, I like my sedan. Yeah, yeah. Well, we say even historically, growing up in the 80s, right, we would say um, a biological female who didn't kind of align with being uh, girly, we would say she was a tomboy. Yeah. Right, and there was no negative connotation associated with that. Um, It was just you didn't fit that that stereotype and that was okay. It didn't make you male. The the catch for that is we didn't have a positive alternative for males. Right, there is no, like... Well, I've never thought of that. Right? There's no capacity to be like not a uh, a manly man mm. and not have it be negatively associated. Yeah. Wow. Right. So so some of this is a corrective reaction to that, but in doing that, actually, we created these stereotypes. So Mark Yarhouse says in his research on gender that that not aligning or fitting into rigid gender stereotypes should mean nothing else than we don't fit into rigid gender stereotypes. Mm. So some of this in our work with people is being able to see someone who's struggling with that tension between how they feel they should be because of their biological sex and feeling like I, I don't align with those, those sensations or that, that perception of self. I want to be this and giving, uh, seeing them, valuing them to be able to give them space to say, it's okay. Mm. Right. It's okay to, to not feel like you have to, fit into this rigid piece because this rigid piece actually isn't accurate anyway. Right. Um, but working to love because in that correction, often they feel that the need to now just in the past couple of years to identify as the other, that's what they're being told and taught and that mm. you'll feel more loved and accepted if you switch to go over here mm. instead of being able to say like, it's okay to fit within this broader, right. This broader umbrella. So the, the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction then causing the same yep intense level of well now we're gonna have to readjust that again when it should be kind of resting there in the center yeah there's three great untruths that uh coddling of the american mind addressed um, Mm. in 2018 and part of what they talk about one of them is that that it's us versus them right right is that we have to be tribalistic we have to create these distinctions Um, some of the other ones are that uh, what doesn't um what doesn't uh, hurt you uh, is going to make it worse Right. Mm. So it's the opposite of a growth mindset in saying that, like, don't do anything difficult. Don't do anything hard. Stay safe. Right. um, Because otherwise you're going to get hurt. Um, And then the other one is trust your feelings over your facts. Mm. Right. And they proposed and acknowledged these things in 2018. And then we went into the pandemic and these things were solidified as as fact, as truth. Um, And so we're kind of coming out of this rapid um, period of self-identification, self uh, valuation, yeah, which in and of itself is is vapid. It's it doesn't do anything, right? I can call myself whatever I want, but what I really want is someone to affirm and value me, mm, see me, see me. me, like yeah. Um, and so in our attempts to do that, it's it's hollow. It doesn't actually work. Yeah. Um, and so part of our role as the body of Christ is to provide space 
for people to be seen and valued and included within our community, within the family of God to feel like they belong, right? Christianity is the only religion in the world in human history that actually has a place for singleness and actually promotes singleness. Yeah. Right. It's saying Paul really promotes singleness. Paul really promotes it, right? You can be a parent, you can be a sibling, Mm -hmm. um, you can be a child within the church, within the body of Christ. Um, even if you can't have your own children, even yeah. if you're not married, but you have to be included in the family of God. The language changes. The body of Christ today doesn't do a good job of that, right? The the classic kind of American church model is, you know, the older women in the church asking the 25-year-old woman, like, well, when are you going to have kids? Yeah. What's going on? Why aren't you yeah. getting married? And so we actually um, solidify some of these cultural yeah. stereotypes, right? We have the the cultural mandate of being fruitful and multiplying in our natural gifting, and then we have the new creation mandate of being fruitful and multiplying in our spiritual gifting. Right. But it's different. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Man, that is, it's so fascinating to, to look at something like the pandemic, like you mentioned. And I love history. I love looking back through history. And you can see anytime there's a major pandemic or illness like this, society changes. Yep. Within, vastly within five years of it ending. Yep. Because things happen inside of those bubbles that are just like, wow, this solidified really quick. Society changed super fast. And one of our questions that we have to ask ourselves is how are we going to adjust to the culture while maintaining our biblical perceptions and understandings? How are we going to do what Christ did Mm -hmm. in this new environment? But the easy reaction is to go, nope, I'm not going to engage with this. I'm not going to talk to the person. It's us versus them and they're them. And I'm, you know, done with this conversation. You part know, that's of, tough. Part of the challenge, I think, is that we have to do the hard work of identifying what we thought was biblical, mm. but is actually cultural. Yeah. Right? So it was kind of easy. Our society was biblical, What had Judeo-Christian ethics. Right. And we look back on that and say, life was just so much easier. Yeah, but that was part of what contributed to this drift is we assumed that culture and Bible were right. were aligned. So a lot of the things that we believe today are, are biblical. Biblical roles between male and female are not biblical roles. They're, they're cultural roles. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a remnant of the Victorian era of the industrial age. And so saying that, well, men go to work and women stay home, we don't see that in scripture. Right. We see that in the industrial age yeah. as, as men left their families from an agricultural setting, which was what we did throughout most of human history, right. and went somewhere to do that. And so we have to make these, some of these distinctions. And so when we as the church talk about gender roles, we tend to be more cultural than we are biblical, right. which actually further exacerbates this problem. The issue. And you look at Proverbs for mm-hmm. the exemplary woman, Yep. and it's completely separate from what you said the Victorian era, industrial era mindset is for male and female, because she's out making money, selling land, controlling the house, telling everyone what to do. And the husband's just sitting at the gate mm-hmm. talking shop. You right, know, he's right. just like, hey, you know, pretty crazy. We built a new wall, huh? And right. they're just talking about civics. Right. And she's managing and doing what we would associate in our culture as, you know, a quote unquote man's yep. job or man's work. Right. So, I mean, God isn't gendered, but Jesus is male. Mm-hmm. Right. So we see throughout all of scripture, actually, that that the role of God is is male in the relationship to Israel and Jesus in the relationship to the church. And those right. roles never change which is why marriage matters, which is why binary mm. sexuality matters, because it's a representation of our relationship with God. Mm. Right? That's why it matters, not just because 
well, God made us this way, so this is how we should be. Well, the reason he made us this way is to represent him, that right. in our complementariness, we can create something new that's distinct from us, um, which is this demonstration of unity of love mm -hmm. across our differences, across our diversity. Right. Right. Genesis uh, 2 and 3 demonstrate, 1, 2, and 3 demonstrate the same thing that the New Testament church demonstrates, is that we should be unified in our in our distinction, in our differences. And because we can uh, get along across how we're different. Those differences, yeah. It's supernatural. It's unusual. Mm -hmm. Right? We see in Jesus, he he throws off all of the cultural gender norms, even of his day. Right? He's hanging out with children right. and accepting them. Um, he is, Disciples are trying to push them away. Yeah, he is doing, the, he's interacting with women that he's not supposed to. That's right. No one will talk to him. That's right. That's why she's going in the middle of the day to get water. Yeah, I mean, even even in Ephesians five, which you know, uh, when before I I bent my original wedding ring, right? It was <laughs> it was stamped on the inside. Ephesians five twenty five is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and mm -hmm. gave himself for her, and present her holy, unblemished, and unstained before the world. If you think of of those couple things in first century world, who's responsible for doing the laundry? It's the women. The women did mm -hmm. the laundry. Right. And yet Jesus actually is preparing his bride, mm. doing her laundry, cleaning her clothes, presenting her to present her from stained to unstained before right. his father. Wow. And so he's flipping even those those roles to say a lot of these things are, are cultural distinctions. Yeah. Right. Jesus did does what needs to be done. He serves. Right. He washed the disciples feet. That's not that's not the leader's role. That's not, not the man's all. role. Um, yeah, they they did not like that. Yeah. Peter got very upset. <laughs> That's right. So we think through some of these different things and say like, well, what are we holding to and why are we holding to it? Mm. Uh, what are we calling people to, to be and do? And how is this actually causing separation within marriages, within churches? Because what is the role of those who are different from us? And how do we include them in our family? How do we include them in the mm. family of God so that they can feel they belong, be accepted and be loved? And this has been such an incredible conversation on this topic. And I think one that's so necessary and needed the, the compassionate heart for those who are walking in, not just this kind of quote unquote sin or issue, but any mm -hmm. to, to look at them and say, I love you. I value you. I want to walk with you and show you what I've been shown by Christ, you yep. know? Yep. And if you could say one thing to every person listening to this, who's going, man, I've got a friend who's walking through this. I've got maybe a family member who's walking through this and you know, I'm following Jesus. How do I start this conversation? What would be your advice to them? My advice would be to, to reach out to the person where they're at and be okay to err on the side of grace over mm. the side of truth, mm. right? Is the Holy spirit will convict, um, as you walk with them, and expose them to the spirit that's in your life. So just demonstrate your love and acceptance of them as made in the image of God, um, not affirming their choice and behaviors, right. um, but not necessarily needing to point out mm. their behaviors either. The Holy Spirit will do that work. Um, include them in the family, include them in, in uh, the body of Christ as they are, just like Jesus did with the disciples for mm. the first three and a half years, even yeah. after, right? They're still yeah. misunderstanding. He included them and entrusted them. Um, and, and, you know, one betrayed him and, uh, one denied him and yet he still entrusted them with, 
mm. with the power to, yeah. to make a difference. So, so accept and love, um, and include, and the Holy Spirit will do the, do the work of conviction. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Yeah, Scott. Thank you, John.